87%. The news from RTHK. Hello, Backchatters. I'm Andrew Work. And I'm Jim Gould. On today's Backchat, we're talking about the rebound in the convention and exhibition business. The Secretary for Commerce and Economic Development, Algernon Yao, has said he expects the sector's performance this year to match or even exceed that of pre-pandemic levels with 150 conventions and 160 exhibitions scheduled for 2024. From jewellery fairs to food expos, exhibitions will cover a wide area and the hospitality sector is poised to benefit as well. The turnaround follows three uh, years of COVID-related restrictions and comes after the government launched a $1.4 billion incentive scheme to subsidise exhibitors seeking to rent space. After 9.45, we'll talk about the authorities' plans for closer examination of public housing tenants' assets, including their cars, to combat abuse of the public housing system. Tell us what you think. Uh, you can call us uh, any time on 233-88-266. That's 233-88-266. And join the conversation. You can WhatsApp us on 6899-8518. That's 6899-8518. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at backchat at rthk.hk. All right. Uh, getting into it today with our guest, we'd like to welcome to the show Professor Andy Kwan, who is director for the ACE, the ACE Center for Business and Economic Research. Good morning, Andy. Good morning. Good morning. We've also got on the line with us today Gary Ung, who's an economist with Natixis. Uh, good morning, Gary. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Hey, uh, Gary, so we're talking about the exhibition business. I, I used to uh, dabble in the exhibition business a long time ago. I ran uh, inter some big internet shows and, and uh, health shows back in the 1999, 2000, 2001. Um, but, you know, that's a long time ago. Tell us what is the latest today. What what are the uh, trends in terms of where exhibitions are going and where the investment's being put? Um, well, um, I think uh, maybe I will start first. So I think um, if we look at the general uh, trend in exhibition, right, Hong Kong traditionally has been a place of uh, kind of the meeting point uh, between uh, Chinese business versus the uh, West or probably uh, increasingly the rest of the world. So I think this is indeed the core advantage of Hong Kong, which is the connectivity. So, but of course, uh, increasingly, uh, especially after the last three years, there is indeed a bit of challenges in getting back some of this exhibition um, back to Hong Kong. But still, I do expect there will be quite a diversified um, type of uh, industrial uh, distribution that um, exhibitors will want to uh, be in Hong Kong and also um, generally uh, have their presence here. Is, is there a difference? Is there a difference in terms of the the makeup of the business between B two C exhibitions and B two B exhibitions? Are we still bringing people in from around the world to you know as as an entrepot of global trading, or is it? Comic-Con, everybody wants to go out and, you know, get some deals on some comics. Is it, is it more B2C or B2B? What's happening? Well, um, I think indeed this could be a bit of mix. And of course, um, if we talk about the population of the exhibitors coming to Hong Kong now, there is indeed a bit of change, right? Because the government cannot just say that, okay, uh, if we have a KPI that we need that many exhibitions being done in Hong Kong, this is probably quite uh, doable because you can imagine a large part of this uh, type of exhibition is probably coordinated by uh, like the uh, different Hong Kong um, government uh, entities and etc. But where whether this is uh, fully 
a rebounded back to the pre-pandemic level, I think there is a very uh, big question mark to it because even if you look at the uh, air flight capacity, right, uh, uh, if you look at the data from Cathay Pacific, it's only, uh, I think, 70% or maybe a bit less than uh, the pre-pandemic level. So basically, it's still quite harsh for Hong Kong to actually bring people uh, back to the city uh, for now, which is, of course, uh, Singapore or some of the other places may have moved a little bit uh, quicker. So I would say there's still uh, quite a bit of work to do here. But in terms of, you know, uh, B2B, B2C, I do see that it's probably a mix of um, both because, um, as I said, um, I think, um, like, in terms of exhibition, right, it's really about reaching out to other businesses or it could be to other customers. So I, I don't have an exact proportion of, you know, the exhibitions that are happening in Hong Kong right now. But I do see a mix of both, at least from a very rough estimate or a, a glance from the top. So, um, um, Andy Kwan, uh, the Secretary for yes. Commerce and Economic uh, Development at Al Junan Yao said, uh, well, I mean, he's expecting a good year. He said uh, the, the, the exhibition business uh, could be back to uh, pre-pandemic levels by the end of uh, 2024, might even exceed. But uh, um, um, w- what do you think? And do you go along with what Gary was just saying about um, uh, uh, the flight, the inbound flight situation uh, could have an effect on progress? Uh to a certain degree, yes, but uh, there's it, a good news to hear. There's a rebound in uh, the number of dimensions mm. and uh, exhibitions will be hold, will, uh, will be held in Hong Kong. Um, yeah, but uh, you, the way to check it is uh, you have to check up um, with a convention center or the expo exhibition in uh, a near airport. I think that that's another one. Uh, so for convention center, there I was told like uh, especially convention center is fully booked this year. Mm-hmm. Very hard to get a place. So in this case, it means uh, at least uh, we are back to normal in that respect. Mm-hmm. But uh, whether we can attract more conventions, it depends on the number of flights, and uh, that that's the issue. Also, like uh, we have to try hard to get more new uh, business, uh, basically or uh, partners to have uh, conventions in Hong Kong. But uh, I think it's on the right track, and uh, don't worry about this issue because like everything uh, seems to be uh, okay now. But in this respect, but still like uh, we have to deal with the the number of flights, and, uh, whether there are enough flights coming back coming to Hong Kong, and uh, there are enough uh, service provided to cater the need to those uh, visitors. That's the key because the, it's important to tourism industry, and also it's very important to the the, the image of Hong Kong. And uh, we have to show, demonstrate we are back in normal and uh, and also in terms of tourism, because those people coming from uh, overseas, they, the visitors, they tend to spend much more money. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a trend now. And uh, I think we better grab this opportunity and try to uh, excel from here. Yeah. I mean... If things are back to normal, so I'm, I'm running, a, I run an event that happens every year. We put in a different city in Asia every year. We're bringing it to Hong Kong in May, the Self Storage Expo Asia. We're doing it at the W Hotel. And, you know, of course, we have to, like, have hotel deals for our guests. And, man, they are not cheap. I mean, discount pricing is out the window, baby. Hong Kong's back. And if that's the case, wouldn't a way to tell the world that Hong Kong's back is to cut the subsidies? stop these multi-billion dollar programs with government money, just say, listen, we don't have to do that anymore. Hong Kong's back. People are coming. Our hotels are filling up. Our exhibition center's full. You don't need our money anymore. I mean, should the government just, is this, is this the time to pull the plug on these programs? Andy? Um, now, let's talk about those uh, uh, people visiting uh, overseas. Uh, from well, I mean, but first, uh, okay. but first, do you think uh, they should cut the subsidy? 
Do you, th- do you think it's time to cut the subsidy? Uh, back? Not, not, not this year. Not this year. Let's see. If the trend is very good, we don't need to, we don't need to really subsidize those uh, so-called the, 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 the programs. So in this case, I think like uh, we have to look. But if it's only a short-term, uh, so-called, it's only a, a short-term rebound, okay? Then we should, we should be more careful with uh we, should, we better see uh, whether there's a trend there. But this year, I don't think it's a good idea to cut. Uh, we, still, we still need to promote Hong Kong because, like, uh, if you look at other engines of the economy, there are none, basically. So we still have to work hard on the tourism industry, either to attract more mainland customers, mainland tourists, and also we have to uh, hold more conventions like this because the business travelers, they really, really, they can afford to spend in Hong Kong. And uh, like uh, we 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 attend uh, conventions overseas, and uh, we 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 don't mind paying like a uh, higher price or enjoy the cuisine there and look at the scenery and go to expensive places. But they only like trip there. They don't come here all the time. It's not yeah. like uh, mainland tourists. I think it's a two ways you have to look at the the the, the issue. I have to admit, we did have some people were talking about, you know, <laughs> confirming their sponsorship and they're grumbling about the price and how expensive it is. And then the next day they uh, come back and say, uh, OK, we're in. Oh, we already booked our rooms. We already booked our rooms at the W Hotel, the most expensive option. I mean, <laughs> it seems like they do have the money. What, what do you think, Gary? Is it time for the government to say we're back? We don't need to subsidize anymore. Time to pull those subsidies. Give the government a break. Well, I mean, I really like the point that you mentioned on the cost, because if you talk about, you know, whether the market is getting get back to the, you know, pre-pandemic level, right? I mean, uh, if you look at the cost of venue, it's you know, probably most of the uh, operators or hotels would want to get the money back after three years of loss, right? So I think from that perspective, there is indeed a very big inflation in terms of all this venue cost. But on the other hand, I think um, um, it's all about the relative competitiveness, right? If Singapore is probably doing something uh, similar, and if Hong Kong is still on the very early stage of rebound, I think it may not be the right timing to uh, pull all these subsidies um, out at this moment. But again, I do agree that this is not something that is very um, sustainable, that you just keep subsidizing the industry in uh, getting all this subsidies here. I mean, eventually you want an ecosystem that people want to be here because if they have all these conferences or if they have all this, you know, exhibition, then they can make money out of it, right? So um, I think the short answer is uh, um, it should probably uh, the subsidy should probably be stay for a while, but not for too long. And of course, uh, uh, some of these expos are, are coming back to Hong Kong, aren't they? The, the, there's the, the the leather show that was uh, held in uh, Dubai, I think, last year. The 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 uh, Vin Expo Asia um, uh, that was uh, in Singapore. That's been in Singapore. That's coming back to Hong Kong. So, uh, how encouraging is uh, is the return of these events? Well, I do think that it's nice to see all this return um, back to, I mean, all these events back to Hong Kong. This is definitely something very encouraging. But again, I think the main uh, issue here is that, okay, the event is here, right? But whether you could actually attract the same uh, or the uh, uh, like the same amount of the uh, attendance or with, with high importance as in uh, before, uh, it really depends on, you know, uh, whether you would have enough flight or how is the connectivity situation here in Hong Kong. So it's really about, you know, whether this uh, conferences can actually generate the same or even bigger economic interest that uh, will happen in the future for Hong Kong. For now, I think um, even though we have the conferences, it may not be, you know, up to the same standard as for the uh, second part um, that we see.
Yeah. Uh, just a reminder, you can call us and get be part of the conversation at 233-88266 here on RTHK Radio 3. Um, gentlemen, we notice we're getting the headline numbers of how many exhibitions, how many conferences are coming through. How about the volume? I mean, I used to run exhibitions, and I'll tell you, you know, if you're like, oh, great, we're back. But if you've only got 50% of the exhibitors and half the delegates, it's half the show. Um, I mean, if there are the absolute numbers of shows are coming back, uh, is the volume there as well? I mean, if the convention center is completely booked out, that's a good sign. Um, but there are other mm. venues. I mean, are, are they are they of the same magnitude as they were b- before these shows? Now, I put it this way, uh, the government can uh, check these uh, numbers and uh, make it open and make it transparent. Then we can uh, make comments on that. But to my uh, knowledge, uh, even uh, we, since I have this, like a certain uh, relationship with the financial sector, I understand like uh, many uh, focus uh, firms, if they want to hold uh, uh, some seminar in a convention uh, hall, Convention center, it's still hard to get one because uh, it's just fully booked. Oh, I think they don't. We they don't. They will not do something like book a big hall and then there are only a few people there. Okay, so we expect like uh, the number of attendants should be high. And uh, I think I remember last time I attended uh, one uh, conference or convention there, the cruise ship, cruise ship one. I went there. Uh, it's not packed, but it's still uh, that good number. There are good numbers of people there. So I think we are on the right track, but I still really have to make sure this thing is happening to Hong Kong and uh, the momentum should go on. And uh, hopefully we can have a healthy year in terms of uh, holding uh, the, the, the convention and the exhibition in Hong Kong. Okay, I mean, it's good news, obviously, that the convention and exhibition centres are are booked out for the whole year. I mean, there's also Asia World Expo, of course, uh, out by the airport. Um, I mean, do do we have, uh, do we actually have enough exhibition space? Well, I think um, this is indeed, uh, I agree, it's a very good question. Mm. Yeah, because um, I think one of the differences uh, in Hong Kong versus uh, some of the other cities, again, I will use the example of Singapore, is that um, over the past three years, um, it's really about, um, I mean, how to uh, develop a more medium-term plan in Singapore to actually attract all this um, uh, business travel, etc., because um, it's a big difference, because um, in Singapore, 50% of the visitors are business travelers, and in Hong Kong, the percentage is only uh, 20%. So I would say that um, for Hong Kong, um, there is indeed a bit of the uh, uh, resources misallocation from the government policy in the past three years in focusing on very short-term issue, while other people or other uh, 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 like cities actually focus on something more long-term. So I think this is indeed something that is important uh, to catch up in terms of you know whether Hong Kong has provided uh, enough venues to hold this sort of exhibition, because if you have more supply. Um, I mean, it's natural that probably the cost will come down and then uh, it will make more sense for um, Hong Kong to actually, uh, you know, uh, get some of this uh, sort of uh, business conferences. And then uh, in that case, probably it doesn't really need that subsidies in that case. Mm. Uh, How important is connectivity? I mean, uh, so like I said, I'm running something at the W Hotel and I found that in conversations with potential (laughs) exhibitors, when we tell them you've got a straight shot from the airport, uh, you know, bring your goods in. You're right underneath the venue. Perfect. They love it. Uh, we now have a train that runs directly from two border crossings right down underneath the exhibition center uh, in Wan Chai. Uh, we've got the high speed rail that comes in under the West Kowloon, right, where you've, you've got some hotels over there, not so much exhibition, but hotels who are hosting events. I mean, 
are those are those uh, are those those all this new connectivity? Is it is it making a difference? Is it actually helping to improve things, especially the uh, rail from China? That put this way, like uh, I really enjoy the subway system in, nowadays in Hong Kong. It's really really strongly connected. If you go to uh, say my place in uh, new, new territories to convention center, uh, used to be I hate that. That the traveling like it took me like uh, forty five to an hour to to travel there, or I have to call a taxi. Very expensive. Now it it's just a few stops, twenty minutes within twenty minutes I can get there. And uh, if you go other places, even the airport uh, to uh, Central, it's so convenient. I think we should not look down uh, upon the ability of the 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 subway to carry passengers passengers so in this case it's also the string I think there's a very a good string in that respect we have very very good public uh, transportation system I don't think it's just uh, the <laughs> the hotel gate okay, that then claim like uh, well you can come from the you can uh, take take this uh, subway and then what just right away you can go to the W hotel and that but you can go anywhere now you can go anywhere you can go down to central you can go anywhere. The, the switching point is so smooth. So I think the, I believe that is a is a key. Is a very strong. Is a strength. We 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 should look at and uh, we should advertise. It. Mm. Is it is it having an impact, for example, on on the shift between uh, you know B two B and overnight visitors versus B two C coming in from China? Are there more people that are coming in for the consumer expos because it's easier for them to make a day trip down here? Uh, whether it's a Comic Con, an anime conference, cosplay, book show, I mean, is it does the connectivity have a bigger impact for the consumer shows attracting people from China? And you know, in which case, you know, that suggests something to people that are running events in terms of their marketing spend. They should be spending more money in southern China to attract people to come down. I mean, is it is that is that having an impact, or are travel restrictions still too tight? Well, I do think that um, this sort of improving connectivity is definitely something positive for Hong Kong in terms of the trips, as you mentioned. Uh, I mean, there could be different type of events, exhibition happening in Hong Kong, and then people can just be here, um, you know, in the morning, uh, attend the exhibition, and then go back overnight. And this is something positive in terms of increasing the uh, volume, of course. But of course, uh, the downside of the better connectivity beyond this uh, uh, spending of uh, from Hong Kong residents to Shenzhen is that all of these uh, residents from uh, China. They may also, you know, just be here for one day. They may not, you know, spend too much money, including accommodation, etc. And then they would just uh, go back. So I think there is indeed a shift of the of the pattern of, you know, uh, how would the exhibition uh, industry can actually support the economy in terms of this, uh, 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 like the short-term perspective. Of course, in the long run, if it generate more business, it's always positive. But if uh, we are increasingly, you know, depending on this, uh, you know, same-day traveler, then that could have some implication on, for example, the uh, accommodation or hospitality industry. Mm. And um, how important uh, is the exhibition business in? showcasing uh, Hong Kong itself. I mean, uh, anybody coming here uh, couldn't fail to be impressed by the sheer, the, 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 the scale of things, the, the look of the harbour and, uh, and, the, and the tall buildings and, um, and, you know, the modern infrastructure and, uh, and the landscape. And, and, and so, so what do you think? Um, uh, I, I know, um, I think, uh, uh, Gary, you said 20% of visitors to Hong Kong were, um, were business travellers. Um, but, I mean, that's still going to be quite a large number of people, isn't it? Well, yes, I mean, uh, definitely, because 
Well, for the past three years, I think one of the problems that Hong Kong faces is really the image hasn't been that great uh, yeah. comparing to the rest of the world. I mean, it could be because of the COVID policies or other geopolitical reasons, etc. But the best way to, if I use the government wording and tell a good Hong Kong story, right, it's really you have people here uh, in the city, they feel it and then they uh, go back and talk to people about it. So um, the exhibition uh, sector it's actually um, quite an important one in telling such a story because it gives people a reason to be uh, uh, here. So I would say, uh, yes, it's actually uh, uh, quite important. But on the other hand, I do feel that uh, given that only 20% of travelers are business-related and obviously on the consumer sector, there can also be a change in uh, the spending pattern as well, right? So it's actually quite worthy for Hong Kong to expand this ratio a bit because it's probably uh, uh, coming uh, up uh, from quite a low proportion, even though that it could still mean a lot of people with twenty percent. Mm. Gary, I know you're Gary. You're an economist within a bank covering this sector. Why? I mean, I, I mean, are you covering from the perspective of listed companies that people want to invest in, or is it from a commercial loan perspective for people in this industry? I mean, what, why does your bank choose to have a have you focus and spend time on this this sector? Well, um, I think first, um, I do cover the macroeconomy uh, in Asia, including Hong Kong. And of course, uh, the exhibition sector is one of the important ones uh, in Hong Kong if we want to measure the recovery um, in the city. I mean, of course, we can talk about all the other sectors like finance, uh, shipping, aviation, etc. But exhibition is one of those sectors which looks small, but it is actually a barometer in uh, measuring how good uh, Hong Kong's economy is. So I think... Um, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert in all these details in exhibition, but for us, uh, understanding this sector, at least from the general uh, growth trend in the future, is quite important to actually uh, uh, basically uh, uh, understand Hong Kong's future growth uh, potential and then also the comparative advantages. So you're looking at it from the perspective as a, as a, as a bellwether, a strong indicator of what's happening in the macroeconomic scene. Um, Andy Kwan at the Center for Business and Economic mm. Research. Where is your interest in this? I mean, what? Why are your your quote unquote clients uh, interested? Well, I I think it's uh, there are two issues you look at. If you are a, if we are able to have uh, many uh, conventions and exhibitions in Hong Kong, is like uh, selling Hong Kong and telling a good story. And it's up to us to uh, do the job here. Okay. And also, when those uh, foreign travelers um, they come to Hong Kong, they Throughout their ten conferences or exhibitions, uh, we need certain like uh, um, plan to entertain them. Okay, it's up to the organizers to do it. Maybe serve provide certain in uh, tourist guide. Okay, so there are many things we need to do uh, to attract more foreign uh, visitors in that respect. Because like uh, it's not something like they come here and just let them go walk around in Hong Kong. And we have many like uh, things to offer. Just remember we have things to offer and then just make, make sure they come back again. That's the issue. And then tell a good story about Hong Kong that that will help. So are, are you being funded by people that help because they want you to help them to understand what will help them to do a better job, like the tourism board, the hotel industry? Is that is that where you're is that why you're doing research? Uh, no, no, I put it this way, like because uh, I, I, I was asked to to attend uh, many, many uh, this kind of like conferences and exhibitions just mm. to look at the uh, what, what's going on there. OK, so I just realized that like uh, 
uh, in some conferences, in some uh, conventions, you you really have to find out like uh, you come uh, say over overseas uh, people coming in Hong Kong and they just attend and they just don't know where to go. <laughs> so it's really up to the organizer to to provide some services, let them know like Hong Kong is a good place. Okay, you don't have to need you don't need to stay in the hotel and then you go around and take their subway. You can go anywhere in Hong Kong. But we we, we I talk to the Hong Kong Tourism Board and uh, uh, quite frequently, and uh, this I would tell them like for sure is a start, but it's not a, the end. You have a lot of work to, you have a lot of work to do and try to make sure Hong Kong can excel in their respect. Okay, so very good. So if uh, people need insights, they should turn to our guest today, Professor Andy Kwan, who is the director at the ACE Center for Business and Economic Research. Thank you for joining us on the show today, Andy. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we also had on the show with us today Gary Ung, who's an economy at Natixis, which is a bank. I actually get their research on a fairly regular basis. I'm a big fan of uh, their chief economist, Alicia Herrera-Garcia, uh, who's a very, very insightful. If you can be lucky enough to get on her email list, I highly recommend it uh, from the people at Natixis. Uh, we're here at RTHK Radio 3 Back Chat talking about the hotel industry. We're going to continue after the break for the news. Reminder, you can call us at 233-88-266 if you'd like to join us and be part of the conversation. Uh, having a quick look at the weather, mainly fine. Coastal fog with one or two light rain patches in the morning and at night. Warm during the day. Maximum temperature around 27 degrees in the urban area. Middle of February. This is kind of unbelievable, but there it is. Uh, your outlook for tomorrow, humid and foggy and warm during the day. With wind strengthening from the east on Friday, temperatures will fall towards the weekend and early next week. Hallelujah. Right now, it is 24 degrees Celsius, 86% humidity. And now the news with Karen Musgrave. The United States has again vetoed a draft resolution at the United Nations Security Council demanding an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. Washington's ambassador to the UN, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, said the US couldn't support a resolution that would have put sensitive negotiations in jeopardy. An American YouTuber who gave harsh advice to millions of parents has been jailed for child abuse. Ruby Frankie had already admitted starving and torturing her six children. She's been given a prison term of up to 60 years. And more details have emerged of an operation by international investigators to disrupt the activities of the Russian-linked cyber crime group Lockbit. The head of Britain's National Crime Agency said they had hacked the hackers to obtain the encryption codes of the ransomware. We'll have more news for you at 10 o'clock. Our bustling and vibrant city arises from the boundless flow of fresh air. The air quality is continuously improving, thanks to the government's allocation of resources and joint efforts of the public in reducing air pollutant concentrations. To sustain this achievement, do your bit in your daily life. Use more public transportation and choose environmentally friendly products. Bring a fresh perspective to Hong Kong. Travellers heading for the mainland during the holidays are reminded to avoid crossing boundary control points at peak hours and plan their journeys in advance. Use rail services as far as possible. Those using other public transport like shuttle buses, cross-boundary coaches or local public transport calling at the Hung Yun Wai Boundary Control Point, the Hong Kong Zhuhai Macau Bridge Hong Kong Port, the Lok Ma Chau Spur Line or the Shenzhen Bay Port should also avoid travelling at peak hours. 
And we're back on Back Chat with Andrew Work and Jim Gould, and we are talking about the exhibition and uh, exhibition and, and the broader tourism industry today, because there's a lot happening out there. Kathy Sue, the chair professor at the School of Hotel and Tourism Management at Hong Kong Polytechnic University, joins us now. Hello, Kathy. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Kathy, uh, you know, we've been talking about a lot, and it sounds like Hong Kong may be back. Uh, the exhibition center is apparently quite heavily booked and tough to get a slot. Um, you know, I've been telling people in the first part of the show that I'm running an event, and hotel prices in May are not cheap. It is not discount pricing. What's your sense? Are we are we back on the road to re- recovery? Or, or are we there? No, we're not there yet. Not quite from the hotel perspective. Um, but, uh, I mean, Hong Kong hotel industry has always been performing very, very well uh, prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's up there, the top one or two uh, performers in the world. So the expectations are very high. Um, I mean, currently, on average, hotel runs about 80-ish, 80% occupancy uh, territory-wide. And that's already very good. But then our expectation is much higher based on the prior pandemic of 90 or uh, low 90s. So uh, there, there's still a, a small margin to grow in terms of occupancy. But definitely, as you mentioned, the room rates has been going up. And it will continue to go up, I think. Are we being too tough on ourselves? Is, are we just setting the standards far too high? I think so, uh, because of our prior booming experience. So everybody is is very, you know, have very high expectations, not only for the events industry, but for the territories, tourism industry, in terms of visitor arrival numbers, uh, people have very high expectations. Mm. And so how much farther do we have to go to get back? I mean, and how do you measure it? Hello. Hello. Kathy oh, Sue. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I think for the, the hotel industry, uh, based on the public sentiment, based on the owner's expectation, I think we will have about 10% more to grow. Anything overnight, lower 90s will be extremely difficult uh, from the operations perspective. You're pretty much full every day of the year, and which, which is uh, quite tough from the management perspective. And the room rate will continue to grow a little bit. I think there is still some room comparing to the pre-pandemic period, but I, I think that the, um, in terms of tourist arrival, as you can see, the, the golden week that we just had, the numbers uh, surpassed the pre-pandemic already, and that's a lot of tourists. So um, in order to sustain that number, uh, we will have to be ready, all members of the community will have to be ready, not only just the service providers in the tourism industry, but the community. Uh, the residents need to be ready to embrace the tourists coming in. Otherwise, tourists, when they don't feel welcome, they may not like the experience and they may, may not come back. So it really takes a whole community perspective um, to provide that vibe and generate um, the image that uh, Hong Kong as a city would like to generate. We're also uh, talking in the first part of the program about uh, the, the rebound in the exhibition business. Um, it's expected to be sort of a, a pretty much a, a back to normal or even, even better than pre-pandemic times by the end of this year. I mean, how, how much of a boost is that to the hospitality sector? Um, it will be tremendous because um, the uh, conference attendees or the events industry really draw in the high value uh, visitors comparing to an ordinary leisure traveler. Um, so their ability 
to uh, to have an impact on the economy is much higher comparing to a leisure traveler. Mm. I've got an email from Ilner. Uh, Ilner, as always, uh, please feel free to post on our Facebook page as well when you've got a lengthy missive like the one that I am holding in uh, my hand right now. Um, he has a question. He says, is there a clear definition of what constitutes a pre-pandemic level? Uh, one issue he cites is flight capacity, which he believes is, st- is still weaker compared to pre-pandemic levels. And he's concerned about capacity because he had a flight recently canceled twice, making it difficult to return to Hong Kong. Uh, he talked about people complaining about the high cost of hotel rates and food. And he's wondering if all these events actually stimulate consumption. Do people go out to dine, uh, take part in tourist activities? And where's the data? Uh, he believes the government's incentive scheme to subsidize exhibitors is a positive step, but we should also consider responsible use of public funds and possible unintended consequences. Um, this question of capacity in flights. Um, I had a friend of mine who on the weekend was, you know, like, hey, I got to go up and look at a new business venture in Hong Kong. Um, Tickets were like over a thousand U.S. dollars to go from Bangkok to Hong Kong this past week. He scrapped the whole business trip. He's like, "That's crazy." He says, "I could fly to the United States for the same amount." Um, is there is there a weakness? Is is the weak link in the chain airline capacity, like Ilner cites? Well, um, it is an issue, um, partly because of the labor shortage, and partly because probably some geopolitical issues, and um, and. I think that the numbers show that probably we're 80% um, back comparing to pre-pandemic in terms of the air flight accessibility. Uh, yeah, we still have a way to go. And, and that is certainly one restricting factor. But then uh, if we look at the Greater Bay Area, um, people can fly to other destinations and, and then coming to Hong Kong. Obviously, that's not as convenient. But in the long term, we'll have to look at from a regional perspective. Speaking of the region, uh, are, are you at the school? Are you training people for the Hong Kong and Macau industry as well? Well, we're training people for the global industry. For the global so industry. We, yeah, we really encourage our students. Of course, Hong Kong is their base. For most of the local students coming from Hong Kong, Hong Kong is their home. We want to uh, fill the needs of Hong Kong first, but then uh, we encourage them to go outside and explore the world and contribute to the global uh, industry. Okay, I'm trying to drag Macau into this because I don't feel like I hear about Macau like I used to pre-COVID. I mean, I, you know, I don't feel a push from Macau tourism or anything like that. I mean, I don't think I know very many people that are going over there to do things. I mean, is, has Macau kind of missed a beat? Have they fallen off the map a little bit? No, I think they're grow- coming back actually a bit faster than Hong Kong because of, uh, of, uh, of the historical um, harmony, harmonious relationship with the mainland tourism and, and Macau residents. So uh, they actually show a, a larger uh, inbound from, from the mainland comparing to Hong Kong. If mm. Yeah. Is it because that's where they're focusing their marketing? Are we, are we, are we they're, they're like, forget those Hong Kongers. Those guys don't have any, those guys don't have any money. We better, we better focus on the mainland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so the mainland market for them really coming back strong. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, just talking about uh, the, the, the hotel and, uh, and tourism uh, um, business. Um, as you mentioned before, um, uh, a lot of sectors uh, have a, a shortage of staff at the moment. I mean, is, is, is that affecting, is that, is, is that a drag on, on activities, business activities here? Um, it, it is a challenge for the hospitality industry, which is very labor intensive, and that's why uh, we're trying to help the industry to make that digital transformation uh, so that 
on a per staff basis, we can increase productivity. But if you look at Hong Kong's uh, unemployment rate that just came out, uh, it's practically impossible for any business to hire really mm-hmm. uh, to the full demand with a 2.9% unemployment rate, right? Um, so yeah, we're trying to help the industry to get the productivity up, but then definitely in the short term, uh, probably the level of service and, and some aspect will, will suffer a little bit. Is, is there any other solution other than, uh, other than uh, improving uh, productivity? Um, I think I think customers nowadays are a bit more used to self-service and and they use their technology and they do a little uh, on the job and then training of the existing of existing staff in terms of multitasking. Traditionally, mm-hmm. each person is trained for one task or one job, one position. But now all the employees to be multitasking and helping each other out and and be more versatile. When people think of the uh, the school of hotel tourism management, we tend to think of people that are frontline waiters, uh, you know, chefs and restaurants and things. But do you guys also teach the sales and marketing end of it as well? Absolutely. We don't do vocational training. Uh, we lead those to the vocational training schools and we do more of a management. So we cover a whole gamut of management, the hotel operations and uh, strategic management, look at the future digital aspect of the of the industry operation. So we, we look at a bigger um, hospitality industry beyond hotel. And, and uh, I mean, tourism is really a huge industry, including um, quite a few sectors. So we, we prepare our students to take on those responsibilities. So good, because where I'm going with this is I, I work in the self-storage industry. Our guys are obsessed with digital marketing because that's where the business comes from. Uh, what has changed in terms of our digital marketing game in, in, in the kind of the post-COVID era for our, our hotel businesses? I mean, are people changing about how they're thinking about where they're targeting, where they're putting their ads money uh, in the digital marketing space? Yeah, absolutely. People nowadays are pretty much work with KOLs and do a lot of, um, you know, uh, TikTok and or uh, so uh, short uh, online streaming and uh, so it, and also based on the data that we have from people's social media behavior, uh, we can do tracking uh, on on a very small cohort basis. So the market segmentation that we used to talk about way back is, you know. Uh, tens of thousands of people per segment, but now we can pretty much narrow that down to a very small group and do more individualized uh, target marketing. So everybody, when they open up their phone, they may see a different uh, type of information uh, feeding from the the supplier end. Uh, That's interesting. It's interesting you mentioned TikTok, because of course Hong Kong is the one place in the world that TikTok doesn't operate in. Right. (laughs) Although, I mean, what what teenager does not know how to use a VPN and, you know, is on TikTok all, all the time? Certainly, certainly my kids. Um, but I mean, are we are we good at that? I mean, do you, do you break down the marketing aspect of what we're doing and saying, OK, we have a China marketing program because it's a totally different set of platforms and approaches versus a, a Western market where you're using different tools, different approaches, you know, and then, of course, Hong Kong is its own kind of bizarre little ecosystem uh, for digital advertising. Do you, do you break it up like that? And do people in Hong Kong understand those different marketing platforms so they can compete on a global scale? Well, the operators certainly do. Uh, even for our uh, in our, our um, hotel icon, our training and research hotel is an independent hotel. And we very much do that. Like you said, different market will require different strategies. And, and I'm 
and from my understanding, for example, Hong Kong Tourism Board, they also do that. That, that they're very good at targeting uh, different markets using different strategies, different social media, you know, different ways of talking to not only geographically different area based on the platforms that they have, but also different uh, segments in terms of age, in terms of you know, a lot of different uh, segmentation criteria. I should, I should send my people because I'm doing B2B marketing across Asia. And, you know, we're like, yeah, we got to We got to do some more in southern China. I'm like, uh, yeah, uh, WeChat, uh, Weibo. I have no idea what I'm talking about. And I'm not sure my communications people do either, you know, or if we're going to do Korea, you know, we got to figure out a whole different environment with line and all the different platforms they have there. Um, but you think you think Hong Kongers actually have a pretty decent handle on the different digital marketing environments in different countries and regions? Well, the big players, the big, uh, the main, uh, the major uh, hotels and tourism attractions, and uh, certainly Hong Kong as a destination. Yes, the the, the management operation of those um, major players are. Uh, but bear in mind that a lot of the um, tourism industry members are small and medium enterprises or even micro uh, enterprises. Uh, they have limited resources and limited, uh, you know, uh, accessibility to some of the big data they were talking about. So they may, they may need some help. We should also mention uh, um, mega events because, uh, uh, we, well, we've spoken about it quite a lot on this program. But of course, the, the government announced uh, recently a program of more than 80 uh, mega events to be held in the first uh, six months of this year. Um, how important do you think they're going to be in helping to push that hotel occupancy rate uh, back towards uh, 90%? Um, very important. Um, I, I understand that Hong Kong as a destination now go all out to attract, especially the top-end uh, high-value visitors. And definitely they are very, very important. Uh, for the hospitality, for the hotel industry, hotel restaurants and bars and all the other hospitality segments, uh, because they are looking for those high value customers. Um, not only we're looking at occupancy, occupancy, like I mentioned, we only have about 10%, 12% to grow, but then it, it is the average daily rate. Uh, if we can increase that, I, I understand people are complaining Hong Kong is, is expensive, but you only uh, look, you have two variables to play. One is occupancy and one is average daily rate. So when, when the room to grow in terms of occupancy rate is limited, then we have to look at the average daily rate. And, and I see that? potential, yeah, I see potential in bringing mega events to, to increase the performance in terms of the average daily rate. Hmm. Okay, so we got to get that occupancy up and we got to get the average daily rate up, which sounds exactly like self-storage, which is my day job. So maybe, Kathy, I should be coming over to uh, the Polytechnic University and taking a few lessons from you. Oh, we're happy to talk with you. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, there might be a call for me in my future. I might invite you to come and speak at our expo that we got coming up in May, actually, because uh, I think there's a lot of overlap. Very excited to have Kathy Sue, Chair Professor at the School of Hotel and Tourism Management uh, on Backchat today. Thank you very much for joining us, Professor Sue. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. All right, it's Andrew Work and Jim Gould uh, lighting the airwaves on fire here at Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. And we welcome uh, to the show uh, one of our, our, our super interesting regulars, Vera Yun, who is a lecturer in economics at the Hong Kong U School of Business. Uh, good morning, Vera. 
Great to have you on the show. Better get your volume turned up a little bit. Um, we are talking to Vera today because the government has announced that they are going to be taking a closer look at people living in public housing and looking into their assets and their incomes to see if they really should be there or if they should make way for uh, people who are having tough times. And there's a lot of interesting history behind that. Vera, what's your what's your broad take on the situation right now in terms of uh, people in public housing who probably shouldn't be there? Um, in fact, a year ago, there have been some voices saying that, you know, that people who abuse the rule, they hide their assets. And then so the government had not done enough to really figure out these people. So they should uh, use more effort in finding those people out. And then I think the government did respond to this. I mean, the um, housing uh, bureau, the housing department, because, I mean, to them, this is more easily achievable. It's a administrative thing. And they have thought of ways to uh, proactively search for these people because in the past, the policy was uh, they would randomly draw some uh, public housing household to check uh, for the assets, to report, uh, you know, how much assets you have. Are you still eligible after like 10 years that you were in, in the public housing? Or when there are people, um, they could take uh, the housing department and then provide evidence that, to say that like this household, I think they have, uh, exceed the asset uh, limit of uh, having to be in there, so you should proactively check. So it's for a passive uh, role that the housing department in doing so. And in fact, uh, if you have studied Gary Becker about you know criminal <laughs> economics, it's very hard. You know, it's very costly to figure these people out, but then to respond to this. Uh, Voices, uh, the housing department has taken more initiative in trying to, you know, search these people out so that they can kick away more uh, people who actually, they don't, uh, they lied or they don't really uh, eligible to be there. And they said they have, they're able to kick away about 2,000 of them this year. So when you, when you, Look at the numbers, you know it's not a lot because when you look at the queue, the family plus uh, the individual applicants of public housing, there are like 300,000 of them. So initially, it's like kicking away a, a few hundred, kicking away a thousand versus you double it. It, it really, like from the numbers, is not that very effective mm -hmm. in order to uh, help those people in queue. So to me, it's more like the anti-corruption campaign in in the mainland China. You know, it's it's more a populist thing to really tell people, you know, we are doing something just. So if you think it's unfair, you know, situation occupy, we have been doing something and we have, you know, figured those people out. And I think most people actually like this idea, despite the numbers more. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, as part of this exercise, there's a second round of uh, asset uh, declaration requirements coming up starting on um, April the 1st. It's also going to take into account uh, the value of people's cars. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you often, you know, I, I don't know how true it is, but you often hear stories of uh, you know walking through the car park of a public housing estate and there'll be loaded with Mercedes spots. and, yes. <laughs> and <laughs> fancy cars. But um, how, how practical is that, uh, Vera Yoon? Because obviously, car, you know, cars are items that do appreciate and value the older that they are? Well, I think they are trying to, you know, find some signal that signals the wealth or the possibility of um, the household exceeding the asset rather than saying that, you know, you're not going to have this car. Like, it's not uh, uh, allowed. So I think the whole... Uh, picture is like they have to calculate the total assets of the whole household. So they try to take this in, just use this as one line that they can follow up. And I think for, for the car issue, I mean, from the economics perspective, it, it's more because the public housing is provided in kind mm. rather than in cash. Because for many Western countries, they already given up, like you know, building a lot of council houses. They they have uh, opt to you know provide cash subsidies so that they would pay for your rent. You can choose wherever you want to live. They, the government pay for it. Mm. But Hong Kong is like on the in kind side, and when it's on the in kind, it kind of affects the consumption of the house that you're in. So basically, you cannot top up like with more money to get a better public housing. Like it's not possible. Yeah. So so they can only like, uh, as this is fixed, but they have saved some money from their budget. So they would use what they have saved on, you know, better consumption, you know, better life, including like better cars, you know, going for trips. Because if, if they're able to actually top this up, or, you know, if this is a cash subsidy, they could find better options of living rather than to buy good cars. But because it's fixed so that, you know, you can find that they have luxury cars sometimes. Yeah. Um, and then there's another concern that people have talked about is that the existing law may not allow the housing department to ask, you know, the uh, transport department to disclose the yes. details for this purpose. And then there are quite some number of, uh, reporters, they have spotted this and then asked them, how are you going to make this work? I think there isn't an answer yet. There may maybe a need to amend the law or something. This is something I wanted to raise with you because, I mean, if you, if you imagine that, you know, you have, let's say you have a new unit that's going to look into this. I've got a bunch of 20-somethings and they have access to all government records across all departments. Um, I mean, you go identify a car. Who owns the car? Oh, it's a company. Really? Uh, what else does a company own? Who are the directors of the company? Cross-reference with the public housing lists and, oh, technically the guy in public housing doesn't have a big income, but he does he is a director of this company that's giving him a fancy car and has five other flats. You know, I mean, but in the past, there were bureaucratic legal walls between accessing information between these different departments. Does this suggest the government might be engaging with a willingness to uh, start to cross-reference information across the departments? I mean, as you said, some people have asked if there's a legal issue there. Is there a legal barrier? And how hard would it be for the government to say, well, we're going to give one investigative unit within the housing department special powers to cross-reference data across different departments so they can 
tackle this problem? I mean, because that would probably make it a lot easier, right? I mean, does it show there may be more of a willingness to uh, either in special cases or generally give the government, have the government give itself power to cross-reference information across different departments and, you know, divisions? Um, I mean, there are ways to get around it. Um, if you still believe that government work by the rules, they, but then this government can amend the rules like in like a split second, like just push it to the legislative council, people will vote for yes, and then you can change it. I don't think it's a barrier to them now. They could check whatever like they want in the law, mm-hmm. and it won't take a very long time. I mean, and they, I think those administrative officers, they would have followed this already, and then they would think of way to get around without like violating the law, but get the things done. So I think nowadays they could achieve what they want very easily. So um, and then I mean there isn't much opposition um, against them because nobody like wants to oppose the government. So basically they can do whatever they, they want to. And I, I kind of think they still they they still abide by some rules in doing so. They just they just will think of a legitimate way to get get through the rules and get things done. It, it seems like something that if the government wanted to, they could hire a private detection agency specializing in this that could probably use a lot of public records and people walking around taking pictures of cars and uh, you know cross referencing information from department. They could almost reference it, you know outsource it to a detective agency that could work this all out. Oh, they said they already formed a team um, hiring retired, you know, retired discipline services and, you know, people. Yeah, yeah. All these mm-hmm. people, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they already did it. They don't have to be private uh, agents. And I believe also one of the things that that uh, team is going to do is uh, strengthen uh, surveillance, uh, try to identify cases of uh, public housing tenants subletting their, u- their units or, mm-hmm. or, or, or using them as, uh, as guest houses. I mean, um, um, how much of a problem, problem is that? How often does that happen? Uh, it's harder. Like, mm. many of the cases are like they give it to their relatives. So it's, it's not like commercially rented out because for public rental housing, it's too obvious. And then, and then it 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 is also against the law. I mean, I have seen many cases, but like this is quite rare. It's very hard to discover. Like those people, uh, you know, usually it's like the the owner, like not the owner, but the tenant on the list. They live somewhere else, and then their relatives take over it. You know, and then you have the son, you have daughter, and then you obviously all these people not on the list to be living there, but. And then the, the other thing is the um, home ownership program that people who actually rent it out uh, in the market. And but then this is another issue because that is uh, a sold unit without full property rights. And that is actually more common, but it's hard to discover because usually they don't really make a contract. They, they find somebody they knew so that uh, they won't be discovered. Mm. Is this, uh, do you think there's a certain air of, uh, you know, kill the chicken to scare the monkeys about this? Are they going to have a little campaign and, and maybe that will convince people to give up their flats, uh, you know, stop subletting, uh, stop, you know, I mean, do, do you think that maybe there's a bit of a scare factor of this like they do with jaywalking campaigns? Or do you think this is going to be a more f- pervasive shift and really getting a lot of people out of public housing that shouldn't be there? I 
to my understanding, <clears throat> if you want to forge a case to really say if I go to the court, I'm very confident that I would win. It's actually very, very hard. So um, even for some cases, they are quite obvious. If finally the tenant actually go to the court and have a judicial review, they may not win. So so now it's more like uh, I already told you I'm going to do this. And if you're scared and you're already wealthy enough to you know move out, you would give it up and you wouldn't move out. And, and the most obvious uh way would be to buy green form HOS or yeah. you know HOS or yeah. subsidies. So they just want one to, get them out. to be here and yeah. get out rather than to kick you out. Okay. And right. to the so they, yeah. they could so watch out monkeys, you might be a chicken. Thank you to Vera Yun <laughs> for joining you. us today. Lecture in economics at Hong Kong School of Business. Thank you, Jim. Thank you to our producer Raphael, audio engineer Tsung Wing Ming, and tomorrow join us with Danny Giddings and Philip Wong. This has been Bat Chat.